0: Good to see you again. Thank you for the invitation. I say that for the benefit of those who were not here earlier. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm, I'm very humbled by the willingness that um, you've shown me in letting me come and study with you from, from God's Word. I do not take your time for granted. I know you're very busy. I know that uh, when you come... To an assembly such as this, it is the responsibility of the one who is speaking in that portion to impart the truth, uh, to speak it with love, and to say those things that hopefully will make us better for our being together. As I say that, I think back to the time that, that I was with you back during the 90s, and this church means a lot to my wife and I. We are better for having been with you. I grew as a Christian. I grew as, as a preacher. And you taught us a lot of things. You taught me a lot of things. You, you challenged me, I think, in my study, as much as I've ever been challenged uh, anywhere. Of course, some of those challenging influences may not be here anymore, but, but uh, I appreciate, appreciate everyone who, who makes me better. I've come to see at the age of 46 that uh, the association I have with people who at the time, and I probably shouldn't say this, at the time may not seem to be as positive as I'd like for it to be in in years to come, proves to be some of the more positive uh, association. And I've had some experiences in Coleman that, that have challenged me, and I expect for the rest of my life, that I will be in those situations where I will have opportunity to grow. But, but, uh, um, showed a lot of love for us and, and we will forever be, be grateful for, for that. And I always enjoy coming back here. I do regret that my family was not able to come. I mentioned earlier that they were on the road last week and, and I used to drag my, my kids all over the place. I just didn't care. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm, I can handle this. They can handle this. Uh, but I don't do that like I used to. Uh, I understand now that that they need rest, and and you can wear them out, and you can make them sick if you if you uh, put too much on them, literally sick. And 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 we've had a lot of sickness. The last two weeks we've uh, had stomach viruses. Levi's been in the hospital from from dehydration. Um, it's a tough tax season, Mark. You know, we um, I worked a lot of hours and <clears throat> was away from my family a lot, and then the worst of all things that can happen to in a CPA during tax season I got sick and uh missed a day of work. Came back to work the next day, a tornado came through Coleman and uh knocked out the power. I had to evacuate my office because of gas leaks and missed about two more days of work because of that. I'm I'm my own guy now, so when When the phone and the fax and the email and everything else goes down, I can't just pick up my phone and call the i t guy because I am the i t guy so so I had to deal with that but but anyway, uh for various reasons, my family i felt they needed to get out of town last week, and so they did, but that travel time uh I think would have been too much for them to to come today and I will say this again and and I probably will. Uh, prove myself to be speaking a lie because it seems like I fail every time I say it, but we, we, plan, we plan to come up and visit some Sunday, not to preach, just to visit and to bring the kids and let you see them, and I'd like for them to, to see you as well, but when you preach every Sunday, it's, it's hard to get away, so uh, you'll just have to be understanding with me on that. If you're ever in Coleman you'd like directions to the building where, where I preach or, better yet, directions to the house out in the middle of the cornfield where I live, uh, send me an email and I'll be glad to direct you there. If you're ever traveling through Coleman on Sunday morning, come and visit with us. If you're traveling through Coleman on Sunday night, just keep on going because we don't meet on Sunday night. We uh, we meet from, from 9 till 12. I'm, I'm getting out early today. Uh we meet from nine to twelve and then we do not come back on Sunday night. And uh I've kind of grown accustomed to that that arrangement. Two hours is going to seem like easy. Uh this will be the shortest of the lessons in this series. It's uh I'm gonna talk about the origin and, and form of angels, and it's short for two reasons. Number one, <clears throat> the subject matter, and number two, I'm I'm going to Linda Adair's house today for lunch. I'm going to embarrass Linda. Linda cooks as good as she looks. (laughs) I I thought that might help with the serving size. So I wanted to throw that in there. But I appreciate the uh, hospitality of those who who are uh, feeding me this week and appreciate Phil and Wanda for uh, letting me stay in their home. I'll have the run of the place Tuesday since they're leaving the country. I told Phil that uh, he and Wanda are going to have to come and visit sometime in Coleman with my family. And I just call ahead and let me know when he's coming so I can plan a uh, trip out of town. (laughs) Everybody that knows me and Phil knows we get away with that kind of stuff. What we have seen thus far in in our study is that we should study the subject of angels. And we shouldn't study the subject because we want to go out here and preach that angels are to be objects of worship because the Bible doesn't teach that. We we should study the, the subject of angels not because we, we want to go out into the world and, and tell the world that, that we've met an angel and that angel has, has helped us in our lives and, and we were well aware when we met the angel that he was an angel and, and this is what the Bible teaches about angels and that's, that's why we're studying this subject because I don't believe the Bible teaches that either. In fact, I'll just jump ahead here and tell you that I think if you ever met an angel, if God did send an angel to earth today, and I'm going to go ahead and issue this disclaimer, number one, he wouldn't tell you anything that he hasn't, God has not already told you in the Bible because we have a complete revelation If the angel did say something that wasn't in the Bible, he'd be accursed of God. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. And I will also say that if God did send an angel to earth today who took on the form of a human, you wouldn't know it because he would be a stranger. Everybody you know that you have association with that is within your circle of influence, you've known them long enough. They're no longer strangers. Therefore, they're not angels. Now, again, we talk about our kids, we talk about our wives, and we call them angels, but you understand what I'm saying. So the purpose of this series of lessons is, is not to confuse, it's not to, to speculate on on a groundless basis, but it's just to come to a better understanding of those spiritual beings with whom I believe we do share much in common. They are fellow servants. That's what the angels said in the Bible when when they were... Uh, made an object of worship, an object of man's worship, their response was, don't worship us, we're fellow servants with you. So we share that in common with angels. We saw earlier in our study that when we go to heaven, we will be like angels. We will be given spiritual bodies, as I believe they have spiritual bodies. We will be given a spiritual body that will uh, allow us to exist within that spiritual domain or that spiritual realm. So, again, we ought to want to study the subject of angels, but we need to approach the subject with, with caution, understanding that, that the revelation that God has given us is to be the basis upon which truth is found and even opinion is developed. I think it's okay to, to have an opinion. I think it needs to be stated as such, and I think opinion needs to be based upon truth. Again, Hebrews 1 and verse 14, exciting passage of Scripture. The angels are ministering spirits. They have served for our benefit. God uses the angels and use the angels to bring about His redemptive purpose in Christ. We saw earlier the role that they played in the life of Jesus. And that was given as a reason why we should want to study them. But where did they begin? What is to be our understanding in terms of the origin of angels? Angels are a part of God's creation. All things, including angels, were created by and for Jesus. Look at that passage again, Colossians 1, with fresh eyes. And and notice what Paul writes about the, the role that Jesus played in creation and, and apply this to what we understand about angels as created beings. In Colossians 1 and verse 16, Paul writes that, "...by Him," that is Jesus, "...all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities." And I believe that's a reference to those spiritual beings that exist in the spiritual places. All things have been created by Him, and all things have been created for Him. The things invisible in the heavens would include the angels. Now, looking further at this, the psalmist calls upon all of God's creation to sing praise to Him. And again, note in that 148th Psalm, the reference reference that we see Not only to God's creation, worshiping God, praising God, but note who we see among this creation. Psalm chapter 148 and verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Notice, God is calling upon through the psalmist for all of, the, of His creation to praise Him. And God says, I want the angels to praise me. And God also says that all these were created By me. So the angels, unlike deity, are not eternal in nature. They were, as you and I, a part of God's creation. Now that begs the question, I suppose, then, as to to when they were actually created. Angels were created prior to the beginning of time. Well, how do we know that? I think we reach that as, as a conclusion because God stated in the 38th chapter of the book of Job, that the angels shouted for joy when He laid the foundation of the earth. No, the angels, again, shouted for joy when God laid the foundation of the earth. They, witnessing and experiencing God in creation, shouted for joy when that happened. The reference in the book of Job is to the sons of God. Now, sometimes... It appears that that is a reference to man, and sometimes it appears that it is a reference to angels. I believe here the reference would not be to man since man was created after the earth. So we see then in putting these various passages of Scripture together that the angels are created beings, but they were created prior to the beginning of time. Since angels were created and were present, When God laid the foundation of the earth, I think it's reasonable to conclude that they were created again prior to the creation of the world. Exactly how long did the angels exist before the beginning of time as we know it cannot be determined. That is a fact that that has not been revealed. So the angels we see then are created beings. We also see that they were created of a higher order than man. The psalmist, and this is a reference to Psalm chapter 8, which is quoted in the book of Hebrews, wrote that man was made a little lower than the angels. Man was made a little lower than the angels, and and, and that is one of those passages of Scripture that requires some meditation, and it requires some, some reflection. In some way, again, we see a common identity between man and the angels but we also see a separation in what has been revealed. That separation being that we have been created not along the same order as angels, but we have been created of a lesser order than the angels. Now, what is interesting to me to note about this is that even though man was made a little lower than the angels, it is the angels that minister... man. This, again, is just a, a demonstration of the great love that God has for us. The angels are of a higher order, and it would seem logical, therefore, that we would be serving them. And yet the Bible teaches that they are serving us. Don't ever believe that God wants you to be lost. Don't ever have this this concept of God that He is in some way working against your salvation because the Bible shouts at us and the message that it shouts is that God loves us and everything within His power has been done. Short of violating our free will, God has done absolutely everything possible to bring about our salvation. And this is just a little tidbit of knowledge that I think once again reinforces that that profound point. It's also interesting, I believe, to consider that as a part of God's creation, angels are under his authority and they have free moral agency just like man. Let's look at that passage, Psalm chapter 103. Psalm chapter 103. In verse 20, bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. And then verse 21, bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. Obedience suggests the possibility of disobedience. The angels, under the authority of God, have a choice. They are free moral agents. And again, here is another point of identity that we share with with the angels. They have a choice to obey or disobey God. How do we know that? We know that because some chose to disobey God. In the book of Jude, in the sixth verse, we read that angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. It is even more clearly stated in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, that is, they transgressed the will of God, sin is transgression, it is disobedience, but he cast them into hell and he, he committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And then the point he makes is that, that if, if God didn't spare them, he's not going to spare us. From a practical standpoint, that fact helps me to see, as a child of God, the importance of obeying God. I am a free moral agent. God loves me. God sent his son to die for my sins. But God expects me to obey His will. We've seen in our study earlier how that the angels have an interest in our salvation. Now add this bit of information to what we've already seen and look look at it from this perspective. Here the angels are rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Here the angels are longing to understand why God would save sinful men. Angels who themselves have seen firsthand the consequences of disobedience, who have seen what has happened to some among their own number, who, as free moral agents under the authority of God, given His will, chose to disobey it. I guess we should ask ourselves the question. In eternity, where do we want to be? Do we want to be with that heavenly host who chose not to disobey? Who still sing songs of praise to God? Who enjoy that intimate fellowship with Him who are His servants and who who, who reciprocate His great love for them? Do we want to be among their number? Or do we want to be among the number who chose to disobey? That's That question shouldn't require a great deal of thought. And if you're here this morning you never obeyed the gospel, let me go ahead and plant that seed. In terms of the form of angels, we see, based upon our understanding of what the Bible teaches of them, that they are invisible to unaided human wisdom. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is found in the 22nd chapter of the book of Numbers. As the Israelites were making their way up the eastern side of the Jordan River. They were going to enter the Promised Land. And the king of Moab, Balak, hired a prophet of God by the name of Balaam. And he hired that prophet to curse God's people. The interesting story, you recall, involves the journey of Balaam to Balak, and the donkey. You remember the story in the 22nd chapter of the book of Numbers? If you look at that passage beginning in verse 22, you see that God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he, that is, Balaam, was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field, but Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side, and the donkey again sees the angel in verse 25. Uh, Verse 26, we see the angel further going and standing in a narrow place, preventing the prophet from going on his way, but the prophet didn't see the angel. But then, in verse 21, excuse me, verse 31, we see that the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and then he saw the angel of the Lord. So the angel was invisible to the unaided vision of Balaam. In Second Kings chapter six, we see another example of this. And This is the period of time when the prophets Elijah and then Elisha served the nation of Israel. And on one particular occasion, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 15. We see that Elisha is surrounded by the Syrian armies. Now, Elisha was not intimidated. He was not afraid because he knew that God was with him and he could see something that his servant, who was terrified, could not see. Verse 15, Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elijah's response in verse 16, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, from the servant's perspective, that was not true. But he could not see what Elisha saw. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the angels of God were there to fight and to protect God's prophet. But the servant, with unaided human vision, was not able to see that. So again, only if God permits, only if God permits, was man able to see the angels. So it can be seen that the angels are incorporeal, that is, they are without material bodies. They are in essence of a spirit substance, yet they can take on a physical form and they can be seen when God so permits. And angels actually in the Old Testament, we see, took on the form of the man. They did in the New Testament as well. God sent three angels to Abraham to inform him that Sarah would would have a son. And note that two of them went to warn Lot of the impending destruction of Sodom. The angel that appeared to Jesus' Jesus' disciples after his resurrection is described by Mark as a young man wearing a white robe. Again, he took on the the form of a man. And then finally, when Jesus ascended back to heaven, the two angels who spoke to the apostles of his return uh, appeared as men in, in white apparel. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to close this lesson by reiterating a point that I made earlier. We wonder, when we see those references, does, does God send angels today who take on the form of men? Does God send angels today who take on the form of men? If I were going to teach that the way I would teach it, is I think the strongest, the strongest reference that I can find is, is in Hebrews the, the 13th chapter. And I'm not saying that's what this reference teaches, but if I were going to teach it, this is the passage to which I would go. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, "...do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it." Now, that's a reference, I believe, to what happened to Abraham when the angels took on the form of men and initially Abraham did not know that they were angels of God and he showed hospitality to those men. And so now the Hebrew writer is saying that whenever a stranger comes along, and I believe he's referring to someone who is a Christian that you don't know, I think it would be as applicable to others, but I think in the context that's who he had reference to, that you are to practice hospitality to that stranger, as did Abraham, because some have entertained angels without knowing. Now, again, I'm not saying that that is a clear statement of truth with respect to the the fact that angels today take on the form of men and and appear to us, and we should therefore be hospitable to all. Because who knows? It just might very well be a man or an angel who has taken on the form of a man. I can't prove it. And I can't disprove it. But I can say this. I don't believe I'll ever know it. I believe it's sort of like the Lord telling me that I need to be prepared for His return because I don't know when He's going to return. I know He's going to return, but I don't know when, and therefore I should act based upon that knowledge as if He's going to return at any time. I believe this passage teaches that whether or not an angel takes on the form of a man and comes to me as a stranger... Whether or not that actually happens, I need to treat those who are my brethren and who may be strange to me, unknown to me, I need to treat them as if it were an angel who took on the form of a man and I need to be hospitable to them following after the example of Abraham. I will say again as well that if an angel did take on the form of a man, we wouldn't have any new revelation. And that argues against God doing that because we have a complete revelation. We have no need of a messenger coming to us from God now to reveal to us new truth. As I suggested earlier, Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 that if an angel preached the gospel other than that that we have received, he would be accursed. So I know an angel is not going to come and preach the gospel because the gospel has already been preached. Now, what about the ministering servant issue? Again, I I can't answer that with absolute certainty. But I do believe that the angels are ministering servants because that's what the Bible teaches. And I do believe that I should be hospitable to all men following after the example and and the model of Abraham. And and, and again, I I just go forward with faith, understanding that that if, if God chose to send a stranger into my life, who, in fact, was an angel in order to, in some way, serve me. If God chose to do that, then then he has the power. He, has, he, has, he is God, and he can do that. But again, if it's a stranger, I'll never know it, will I? I'll never know it. So again, I, I hope these these simple thoughts have helped to fill in some of the gaps of your knowledge. The The real motivational lessons in this series are, are ahead of us. I'm going to be speaking about the, the activities of angels. I'm going to talk about their, their attributes, the characteristics, the various classifications of angels, but especially when we talk about the activities of angels. I think that's where we're going to, once again, come to have a greater respect. Not reverence, but respect for these spiritual beings and appreciation for them. We will not pray to them. We will not pray through them. But we will thank God for them based upon that knowledge. Knowledge is power. So I challenge you once again to come back and be with us this afternoon. Come back to be with us Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, as we continue to study what I believe to be a very fascinating area of Scripture.